All right, everybody, welcome to this week's edition of The Review Crew, where we gather uh, writers and editors from No Presidium to talk about the shows that they've seen or experienced over the past week. Uh, we are now using it to pick our pick of the week every week that happens on the main No Presidium podcast in your podcast feeds. And uh, we'll kick it off. So we have uh, today we have the writer and publisher of No Presidium. Oh, hey, that's me. I'm Noah Nelson. Hello. We have the um, arts editor for NoPro. Hi, that's me, Laura Hess. And then we have Patrick's title that I don't know. Uh, Chicago curator. Uh, you, you butchered it because I was going to be like a joke. Like, oh, well, I, I must be the Chicago curator. Hi, I'm Patrick. <laughs> I'm just going to ruin the jokes off the top. And I'm uh, LA Reviews editor, Kevin Gossett. <laughs> and uh, just, just going to make a mess of this to start so okay. um okay. and we're actually going to start this show with a, a different format as there's a big piece of immersive news today um mm -hmm. and we have i i don't know there might be some star wars fans on staff i'm not i'm not sure um <laughs> star wars fans where i don't know who, who? what uh, <laughs> i'm gonna do the uh translation to sherwick uh just so everyone knows uh just uh, everything that it said so continue uh, yeah, so uh, Disney released a lot of information on the Galactic Star Cruiser today, so we're just going to jump in on that. Um, <laughs> and I'm gonna let it's just an asteroid field. We'll make it through. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm going to let uh, Noah and Patrick take the lead here for some reason. This is so far off the rails already. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's part of the committee. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this is the new show. This is all the show is now. Uh, yeah, Star Cruiser. So, uh, um, you know, I think the, the big news, so the, the big news is they finally talked prices. Everyone was very concerned. What were the prices going to be? Uh, how much was this thing going to cost? Will they take children as payment? And being Disney, the answer on the last one is always <laughs> yes, of course. Um, but uh, no, actually, they won't. They will not take children as payment. Don't try. They will charge you extra if you try to make them take children as payment. I don't know. That, uh, I that said, I, I knew a family who went down to uh, Florida, and when they were like dining at some restaurant, they had Jawas walking around, and my friend traded his daughter away for some parts. Uh, and they did wander away for a few minutes with his daughter. So I don't know. It's it's this is this is Star Wars. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Maybe yeah. I'm wrong about a lot of things. It's it's entirely possible. So um so yeah, like the big the big news is the price. Um, it's basically starting at um just under just I believe it's just under five thousand dollars for two people for two night two days two nights. Um, there's a checkout time at nine thirty in the morning. You know, I'm I'm not a big fan of of that, but uh, I understand you got to keep this thing moving. And there's uh, there's a whole bunch of information you can read about the itinerary. I have not. I'm I'm intending on going as cold as I can, uh, which is going to be very difficult because who knows how long it's going to be before I'm able to go. Uh, there's been there's been there's been sort of these like various reactions. Like some people are in full sticker shock because they're like. $2,500 for a person. Oh my God. And then there's other folks who are like saying, well, you know, uh, a, a high-end hotel room at, at Disney is already going to be about 500 bucks a night. And, you know, 
you're getting an experience. Plus you, you get a, a free drink at the cantina and there's meals. So, which is a little bit like, oh, okay. Yeah. There's free food for like this much money. There better be free food. But you know, the, uh, I, what is it like a, a cruise for two starts around like three grand or something like that. No, that so I'm looking yeah. at it right now, two guests per cabin. So I guess this is just the cabin. I'm not even looking at ticket prices to just, just stay in a room. Oh, it's all uh, inclusive. It's all oh, inclusive. So, okay. So then it's, yeah. it's $4,809 for two people Yeah. for three guests per cabin. It's $5,299. And then four guests is, uh, Five thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars, and I believe that that middle one is like two adults and a kid. So Correct. it's like, and and the four guests, which I find very interesting, is three adults, one child. I presume, <laughs> I presume they must like be changing what a child is. Like, I, like that must be like if you're twelve or older, you're. You know, I, I I could also see it's just like all and our and our friend who our sad childless friend who wants to come along. Which is a which is a real thing, Patrick. <laughs> Don't yes, know why uh, you think I, this I will, is weird. I will happily fill in someone's party as the sad, childless adult. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's like single writer line, right? You know, yeah. it's just childless friend line. <laughs> Kevin. Yeah. Um, no, and I think I, I did see like, a lot of people likening it to a cruise, and that the like you get the. Um, the food's included in like entertainment's included. It is, it is all inclusive in, in terms of that cost, but it is pretty high. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, I mean, you know, look, income inequality in America is like a real thing. Right. So like, that's one issue. Um, so there's going to be some people who look at this and just are like, sure. Um, and then you get like the deep faithful who will view this as like a once in a lifetime thing. That's me. I don't have $2,500 Plus, you know, $500 to get down to Orlando if I'm lucky and get back if I'm extra lucky. Uh, I don't have another $500 on costuming, right? Which would be like table stakes costuming for this because costumes are encouraged. And like, quite frankly, I'm not showing up in my target best on like a Starliner. Like that's not happening. So, you know, and I and I haven't even noticed, maybe someone's looked at the literature, like maybe there's, maybe there's costume rental that you can do. You can maybe. go to shop Disney if you uh, are in a pinch and order costumes ac- accordingly, it looks like. That's fantastic. So, you know, so they'll, they'll get, it'll get you for a little bit more, but you know, I'm, I look at this as a once in a lifetime, you know, uh, and only a hundred, there's only a hundred rooms on the thing. So I don't think they're going to have any trouble booking this out. I think that folks, you know, I, I saw one write up in IO9 of all places and I, and I was a little disappointed because they were like, this price is outrageous. There isn't even a pool. What if your kids have a meltdown? And I'm like, you're a science fiction blog and you're worried about the pool and your kids having a meltdown. Do you even know who your audience is? Like, why are you talking about that? And I think there are a lot of people who look at a Disney vacation and they think those thoughts. Right. Well, I, I when I go to a Disney vacation, I want to go sit by the pool and I want to get a break from my kids. But my kids want to do this and the other thing. And it's like, yeah, man, go to the go to Grand, Grand Floridian, you know, go to the contemporary. There's a space for you. This is for the weirdos who are like, you can't make me sleep. I'm going to get all 48 hours of the experience. There's nothing you can do to stop me. That casino's open all night. So, you know, it's for us. 
Yeah, how else are you going to win a Karelian Corvette if you're not going to play Sabacc until 3 in the morning? Patrick, I'm not trying to win a Corvette. I'm going to win that Starliner. They're not going to be able to let me leave because I'm going to own it by the end. All right? You got to think bigger, man. Uh, you got to think bigger. That's that's why you're the head smuggler. That's why you're the boss. <laughs> that's right. Now, get down there and rig those tables. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got a starliner. That's one thing that I am probably sad about is like you can't go in there with an Ocean's Eleven plan, which you know, which is what I'd want to do. What so, if we ran our own game like that? Like that, that those options aren't there. And so, um, along that note, like for this kind of price, like what kind of like interactivity and experience would you really be <laughs> looking for, other than just like living in the Star Wars world for two days? Well, right. And oh, this I, guys, I, this is a family podcast, so just yeah. I want to remind everyone. <laughs> Well, I looked at the the itinerary, uh, and I agree there are some egregious things like breakfast at seven thirty in the morning. I'll what? just take I'll just take the extra thirty minutes of sleep, thank you. But then it's like there's Is the there's, military cruise. What's going yeah, on? So, but it's like learn the bridge. Like, like it 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 makes sure it sure seems like they for this price are allowing you to experience everything possible on this. And then what I saw that really really like won me over is to the point that I believe I, I believe Catherine, uh executive editor here at No Proscenium, she had been trying to see Rise of the Resistance and and using the app to book it mm. and she did not was not able to see it uh constantly she went to the park and was unable to see it where both smugglers run and rise of the resistance are baked in a one-time guarantee it's if, if I'm reading it correctly, to see it. So you're also getting the most out of your Batu part of your vacation of actually going to Galaxy's Edge too. That's a thousand dollars worth of value right there. <laughs> the thing is, I'm only half joking. Right, because there's given the meltdowns, given yeah. the number of times people go to like go to go on Rise and don't get it, and just like you know, like people own keys now and they're no longer APs but like just to get on that ride so I don't know this this could also I mean th I think there's also a level where there's like a ripple effect possibility here I think that's the thing that we're all maybe the most interested in in the long run is like if this works, if this is wildly popular, what does it mean? Are there other immersive hotels? Are there other story experiences like this that people will build, like cruise ships on land? You know, will they will they invest more in Star Wars uh, products as well? Like that's that's a whole that's a whole other side of things. And you know, there is also the difficulty that you know all of this content ugh, that word is keyed around the sequels, which when you know. When they started building this in 2015 and everything and started really playing these things out in 2016, like everybody loved The Force Awakens. And then since then, the movies have been completely divisive and it's all rooted in that. And there's been a lot, there's a lot of concrete <laughs> that's like been poured and focused. And I, I do wonder about like the 10 year cycle on this thing. But right now, this idea that someone can con all their friends, I mean, uh, gently ask all their friends to, you know, help them to achieve a lifelong dream and head on down to this thing is, uh, I just hope they execute on it. Like it all sounds great. I, I hope Kevin, to get back to your initial question, like, 
I hope that, you know, it, it fulfills the story living promise and that we feel like, no, really we're in the show. We're doing the thing. And wait, I'm curious to hear more. I don't know how much longer we want to talk about this specifically, but I'm curious to hear more about what you think the 10 year trajectory, you know, of this is or, or could be. Well, I saw another thing in reading the uh, propaganda. I mean, press release um, <laughs> for this uh, excursion was that they made a point of saying that like like uh, cruise star cruisers like this have been in existence and functioning in the Star Wars galaxy for hundreds of years. So to I think Noah's point, I think that they're if I once again, if I'm reading in between the lines correctly, it sure seems like that they are geared towards allowing this experience maybe to pivot almost on a dime's notice. Because I feel like as long as you have a bunch of good guys and a bunch of bad guys in space, like thematically in Star Wars, you can almost paste over into any era very easily, very quickly. And I think... To Noah's point earlier, I think they, they probably are going to try to unwind this at some point from the, the time period it's like Batuu is stuck in. And it seems like it'd be easier to do that with with the Star Cruiser as its its own thing. Well, Batuu is showing up in all sorts of literature, too. Like, it's like they're, mm-hmm. any place that they can put it into the mythos, it's mentioned. The, the, st- the, sticking, point, the sticking point in Galaxy's Edge in terms of... The, you know, the, the sticking points are... The starfighters and that the tie echelon, which is the thing in the first order section, which, which ironically enough was designed for a movie that was never shot. Um, those, those grounded in the sequel trilogy and then rise um, also uh, would be, would be hard to reskin into something. So um, that's, that's sort of the, 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 the inertia factor here as a deep star Wars nerd, I just kind of like view the park as like an AU of, of star Wars to use like the fanfic term. Um, because they did a lot to make everything line up, but not Wait, everything. I don't know lines what that up. means. What is alternate it? universe? What is an AU? Uh, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Laura. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fine. Right, it's guys. good. She's. I remember army. the first time I was in over my head in a Star Wars conversation. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, AU's not even used in Star Wars. It's a fan. It's a fanfic term. So like people, people make people make AU's alternate universes. Um, but it just means that things unfolded a little differently. Um, and that that kind of lines up. That eases the thing. The 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 trick is that Disney really wants everyone to like that. There's that there to use the term from Loki that there's a sacred timeline of Star Wars. Um, and that every story counts because they, they do recognize that, that, that there's a, there is a built in psychological pressure for fans to know what's going on in the universe because somehow it matters because it may affect the thing they love the most and the, the fear and the, the hope each time that a new piece of content comes out is that somehow, somehow it would make the thing you love even better, whatever specific thing you love. And the dread is that it's going to mess it up for all time. And that is the psychology of every fan, whether they admit it or not. I admit it. Um, but I think, 
I think that they're going to be fine. You know, like I said, it's, I think it's a 10 year cycle on it. I also think that much like the prequels, I think the sequel era in time, if they, if they do the work of fleshing out that era, the way that they fleshed out the prequels in Clone Wars, I think that they'll find themselves with people reattaching themselves to it. I think right now in the fandom, there's a there's a lot of people vocally saying, let's just forget about it. Let's let's get away from it. Let's reboot it. Like let's pretend it never happened. And honestly, the smart money is on find the rebels for the sequel era. Uh and then And Rebels, you mean the the show Rebels? The sh- yeah, the TV show. Yeah. Find the Rebels, find the Clone Wars. Resistance, that show was not it. Uh, but so find find the thing that's going to, you know, fill spackle in where it needs to be spackled and make it all feel more coherent. And then they can start manifesting that in the park. Bada bing, bada boom. You know? Uh you you don't you don't need anything else. You you could you could keep this era vibrant for a very long time if they just did, found ways to make people love it a little more. And I think that's a that's a good point to to leave it on before we spend forty five minutes just talking about <laughs> Galaxy's Edge and uh, Galactic Star Cruiser. Forty five so, minutes. If only you were yeah, so lucky. We I know. Only talk for that long. <laughs> when at least the like four hour extended cut of this review crew. Uh, <laughs> I want to really know. Release the Snyder cut of the review crew. Um, so now we're going to toss to Patrick, and you are talking about Wrath. Afterlife, I believe, is the name. Uh, it's, it is Rafe the Oblivion Afterlife. And to be very clear, that's Rafe colon the Oblivion dash Afterlife. Uh, I know everyone was completely lost there for a moment. Uh, so, yeah. So from Fast Travel Games, whose last like VR game was called The Curious Tale of Stolen Pets, which was like this whimsical, magical like puzzler that was friendly for all ages comes this like nightmare fuel terror fest trapped in a hollywood mansion as your self-destructive tendencies get the better of you and there are terrible monsters that are out to get you and kill you all over again um in short the summary of it would be like you play as ed a photographer who conveniently is down on his luck his relationship is falling apart his you know photography never really took off he's feeling creatively zapped so hey why not take that gig at barclay mansion to photograph a seance what could possibly go wrong oh wait you die but you're not completely dead you're left to wander this like middle verse between life and death and try to figure out what really happened who killed everyone is there maybe something horrific and monstrous stalking the quarters and the hallways all around you can you survive again who's to say um so basically in short for technical purposes it would be like a um walking around a uh um you know a horror you know Oh my God, what are they called? Horror mansions. What do we call them? Haunted houses. Thank you. <laughs> you basically, it's walking around and being... I'm a professional. Um, you got to get ready for spooky season, Patrick. It's, it's coming yeah, up real fast here. 
I, and you guys were making fun of me about AU. So, <laughs> hi. I, I can't even think of a subgenre term correctly. Yeah, so it's a haunted mansion where in VR you're walking around to like different rooms trying to collect clues and information uh, while like a narrative at large is unfolding and you piece together the mystery of what's occurred. Um, it's, you know mostly all about stealth in this this vr game you're gonna need to be ducking and hiding and crawling carefully make sure not to step on glass so some monsters will hunt and find you uh and it's about a probably anywhere probably 10 to 15 hour game presuming on how good you are uh if you're like me you're gonna die a lot because you're going to accidentally step on some broken glass, and then you're going to hear the howl of a monster as it comes from some direction and mauls you to death. (laughs) So I want to ask how scary this is. What kind of level of horror are we talking about? Because I'm someone who straddles, like I'm not horror averse, but I wouldn't say I'm a, a true horror enthusiast. And I think especially when it's in VR, that kind of, you know, what calibration it's at is a really important thing to know before you go into it. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I would say for a majority of the game, 80% of the game, it's tension building. It's knowing that there are monsters and undead creatures like you who are out to get you. Uh, So, you know, you're walking down the hallway and you hear the creak behind you, but there's nothing there. You hear wailing off in the distance, and you're moving forward and through the mansion, exploring, and there are other sounds and visual cues that are like, wait, that was a shadow of some kind of figure, and you look around the court and there's nothing there. So it's all about knowing that there's something horrific and terrible coming, and then when it gets to the point where you're in this very gorgeous like set piece room, I like to call them. Uh, for example, my favorite was you go into the basement and this mansion has like a little private movie theater where conveniently the projector is on but flickering. Uh, and you know you go down, you get something out of the closet, but then you hear the monster has come into the room, the other room. So you get down, you duck, and you look around the corner and you're like, oh, there it is. But then the lights from the projector goes out, total darkness, other than the footlights of the theater. And then you move, and then it's in a different place too. So it's definitely about knowing where it is. Now that said, at the very end of the game, so that last 20%, a lot of jump scares, a lot of like... Oh, what's that noise? Oh my God, there's something right behind me. Ah, and then it disappears. I'm not I'm not the biggest jump scare fan because they do startle me, but I derive like no joy from it. I just go like, oh, I probably should go to the cardiologist soon. Um, <laughs> well, it, I, I, I think the problem with it is also that sometimes they're trying to do something very cinematic where, mm. where the tension building works so far and gets you to a certain point and there's a reveal in the story and then it's like you know it's like okay this is it like the big monster is hunting you the issue is in order to like change up the thing it's like you know you're doing something and then it starts crawling through it through the floor or it just suddenly appears pops out of a wall and takes the takes a swing at you right so they try to change it up and 
add a little gameplay. Right. And sometimes it works if you're standing and looking in the right place. But then sometimes you're like, oh my God, I just need to burn this paper to clear out this area and then I'll know it'll be okay. So you, you see something and you're like, ah, oh, what, 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 uh, you know? So it, it, it sounds, and this is again, a game I haven't played uh, for the, the jump scare reasons. It sounds a little bit like the thing you're saying remind me when people talk about alien isolation and which was a very effective uh, horror game. And, and there was a VR mod that was sort of famously like terrifying, but what I'm curious is, you know, I happen to know the Wraith, the Oblivion franchise. Like I had a, a fair number of the, the role-playing games back in the 90s from White Wolf. It's part of their line that Vampire the Masquerade and Mage the Ascension, my favorite game of all time, is in. And Wraith was always um, a challenge to try to run because it was maybe the most psychologically complex of the games because there was... Um, you had a shadow. Every wraith had their shadow, and their shadow was their like, it was their personal antagonist, and it was such an interesting dynamic. This idea that there was sort of a a, a, a novelistic enemy to every single player character is that in here? Do they do they go there with wraith? Yes, and I think that's one of the game's strongest points as well in regards to kind of narrative tension and some nice environmental work is that the shadow in theory you don't know its objectives or its goals it's like oh you're trapped in this mansion what's going on let's try to find it maybe we need to do this and all the while it's like whispering commentary in regards to how successful you're doing maybe or uh, passing judgment or disparities on other uh, characters that you encounter in the game. And it is definitely a force that is both guiding you, but also at a certain point, you're like, wait a minute, why are you doing this kind of thing? Uh, because there's a few points in the second half of the game where the shadow, you like, you know, you grab the key you need to unlock a door and you need to walk across. But then the shadow conveniently knocks over a bunch of pots and pans and goes, oops, did I do that? I hope that monster didn't hear you. It didn't hear that. And it definitely plays with kind of like examining uh, your character Ed's like self-destructive mentality and tendencies and kind of definitely plays a part and would be is it is the prote uh, the antagonist of this story for sure and i think it did successfully work and so in that genre for kind of adapting the role-playing game i thought it was kind of effective that you know it's you the shadow is just that um so it might uh be your ally or it might not and that's just another mystery to kind of make a decision on at your at your pace and at your leisure oh interesting yeah that that sounds like a really neat way to to take it where it's like it it could be helping you but it might be undermining you um so glad glad to know that the that the franchise that it's that it's uh central conceit is is well represented in what what you know would would be easy enough to just be a haunted horror haunted house thing where it's like it's a haunted house but you're also a ghost ooh spooky yeah for sure so i mean i i would just say for Rafe that if if you uh enjoy quality sound design 
uh, looking to like really kind of like be mesmerized by a few really kind of gorgeously rendered environments and really big rooms. And you, you don't mind um, some tension and uh, suspense and maybe you're, you go, oh man, oh, that's just my heart beating so loudly. That's not the game. That's my actual chest bump, uh, my actual heart thumping against my chest. I would recommend this. I, I will give a gamer tip though for this really quick is that uh, I I'm not sure about any of you, but when it comes to VR, I'm still a little newer to it, but I get terrible motion sickness mm. when I need to do locomotion movement and locomotion movement is when you use like a joystick to move around rather than, um, and you like actually like make steps and things like that, where there's the teleport option, which I think a lot of people know, um, from things like, um, the under percents and other games like that, where you like throw the button to be like, that's where I want to go stand. Because the issue is with the stealth of this game, it requires you to like know where you are. Because if you do the teleport while you are not moving, your character is, and a monster can see you, but you won't know you've been seen. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it, it was a bummer because as much as I enjoyed standing up, I just couldn't. So I spent most of this game actually sitting down just because I couldn't handle the motion. But that's me. But it is also a $30 game. So, you know, if you're someone who's like, maybe like Laura, who's like, oh, maybe this does, maybe this does fit my horror wheelhouse. But if you can't do locomotion or you're maybe just not good at like, you know, those kind of stealth mechanics, then it is a skip in that sense. But um, that's more of a personal player preference. All right. Um, up next, we have. Laura is going to be talking about a installation she saw at the LA Art Show. Yeah, so this is a um, this is very different from from Wraith, but um, we'll just dive right into this. So the the name of this piece is called this is the full title. It's called Data Ergo Sum Reloaded. So this was an installation that I saw over the weekend at the LA Art Show. It's by a Spanish multidisciplinary artist named Ana Marcos who specializes in electronic and digital art. And so this is an interactive experience. It's powered by AI and it questions our power over our identities and explores how data is captured, analyzed and used with or without our knowledge or permission. And this work specifically dives into human behavior and how machines might be reading correctly or incorrectly our behavior. And what does that mean then for our privacy, security, freedom, and health? And so the, I'll explain how this installation is presented. It's broken up into two sections. So there's an observation room and a viewing room. These are immediately adjacent. And the observation room, which is dimly lit, consisted of two mirrors hung on the wall. And I'm assuming there's, you know, there's cameras behind them. You don't see any of the apparatuses. And then in front of each, sort of in the center of the room, was a taped mark on the floor. And participants stood on the mark, facing the mirror, and then their behavior is captured. And this was then projected onto a wall in a separate viewing room, along with statistical results and measurements. And I'll, I'll, I want to offer up a few statistics in a minute, just because I think it's, it is really fascinating what this can capture. And this felt really timely considering, uh, I mean, a number of events. The 
analysis of social media data for the January 6th insurrection and how that aided the FBI in their investigations and arrests. And then also piggybacking on that is an ongoing topic of conversation around the concept of a social credit score, which China's already implemented. And um, I actually just read an article that was published yesterday in The Hill about the future of an American social credit score. So this idea of how we're capturing data through our activities, which we, we've known is an issue, um, but even just as you are moving through a space, where you are moving through a space, what you might convey through your body language and how that is captured and potentially used uh, against you is a really arresting concept. Um, and so there were a couple of compelling moments that I do want to cite. In the observation room, at one point I was alone and I backed away from the floor mark and was just kind of hanging out in there. And so as far as the AI could tell, no one else was in the room and it started calling out, <laughs> asking, um, does anybody want to interact with me? Uh, I, I don't see anyone. Is anyone there? So there was this brief. And really re quick, Laura, like yeah. the what did the voice sound like? What did this computer sound like? Very robotic. So um, I'm not a, a really comprehensive gamer, but it reminded me of Portal. It reminded me of the Portal voice saying, you know, are you still there? It was a male voice. It wasn't a female voice, but it was definitely designed to sound very robotic and, um, or maybe not very robotic, but it felt like it had that tinge of uh, a, a robotic affect. So it's very clear that this is not a person. And yeah, there, so there was this brief and, and very delightful moment of sort of skirting the AI's parameters and observing it rather than it being able to observe me. And then of course, in the viewing room, I had this meta moment of recording the projection of my behavioral analysis on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and my analysis was actually, it was also incomplete because, I mean, I'm, I'm indoors, I'm in the LA Convention Center, there was a mask requirement, as there should be, so I had on my face mask, and I, I didn't remove it during observation. I did see other projections, and people had taken off their mask, and so um, I chose not to do that, and it had... Um, it, it had up a number of emotions like joy, disgust, anger, fear, and it wasn't able to really capture them. So it was also another interesting touch point of how we can potentially obscure uh, the AI's capabilities. Yeah. And so so I had the, because uh, you we knew we were going to talk about this to a certain degree. So I watched a, a video from what I believe is the um, primary cre creators and artists website about mm -hmm. this. And it definitely really gave a sense of what this is. But I was a little confused and maybe Laura, you doing it in person, you could elaborate on this is that it's this, it's, you know, it's supposed to be a conversation starter about how much data we simply give away by smiling and moving and is just recorded instantaneously to be used for whatever means by whomever. But I was actually a little confused on if the experience uh, itself was actually capturing and providing real data, if it was using the AIs that look at you, 
run your your information through an algorithm and then recreate you and can reproduce you like if it was actually doing it or if it was just simply like hey we just kind of did this and recreated it without the super thinking intelligent ai this is what it could be and how close we are to it. Right. And I think this is a really important point. And my understanding, based on some additional research that I did, I, I don't feel, unless I missed it, which is entirely possible, but I'm pretty thorough when I move through these different installations and presentations at, at these art fairs and shows. Um, I wish that the LA Art Show had presented additional key information. My understanding is that this is trying to capture real data points um, based on the sophistication of that tech at this point. So online, I found that uh, this is capturing approximately 20,000 data points in just 20 seconds. And included in that, it analyzes 21 facial expressions, 39 body expressions, 10 biometric measurements, and seven, and, and I guess deduces seven emotions from facial expressions, which is wow. also interesting because there's also different um, psychology work. I, I'm not sure if that's exactly the right umbrella is, is psychology, you know, behavioral analysis. Um, there are people like Paul Ekman who have studied the universality of facial expressions and how they convey emotions from people all over the world, including some uh, remote tribal communities that would that don't have contact with the modern world. And so it's interesting both how universal some of these data points might be, but also that there's, I just wonder how sophisticated some of this is because you can smile and, and there's all sorts of sources about this. You can smile at someone and there's data around and studies around a, what is a genuine smile and how the, you know, the crinkling of the eyes needs to be incorporated for it to be a genuine smile versus a smile that's more of disgust or contempt. So I think there's also, again, it raises interesting points around how does, how accurate is it, at least currently, how can it be manipulated either by the AI or corporations and governments that are using the AI or how we can circumnavigate what it believes it's capturing. And so I actually had a question kind of backing up a, a little bit. You mentioned it's, it says it's, it's capturing all this, all this data. Do they say, are they doing anything with it? Or are they just like, is it deleted when you leave the show? Is that... I, I, I saw no information about that. So I, I would assume that this is being then used by the artist in, in some way. Um, but I saw no information about what happens with, uh, with the rec these recordings and where they might go from there. Interesting. Yeah, because to that point, like they, so they have the recording. So whether the the AI is as functional, or if they're using it, or if it's just for point, that doesn't mean eventually when the, it becomes accessible, they can't plug Laura in at their pleasure at a point. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> wow. Be the first one in the singularity. Um, do you <laughs> do you see any potential for this in like other kind of whether it's like an immersive work or in ARG or even like other kinds of art? Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I think, and this is what interests me the most about this. I mean, I think everything we've just discussed is fascinating and also terrifying. Um, but in terms of, I'm always looking for crossover and cross-pollination between interactive artworks like these and other 
interactive experiences that we talk about, like ARGs and immersive theater, et cetera. So I would love to see this first and foremost, I would love to see this deployed like in an escape room context. I could easily see this being integrated into like a jury games production or something similar to garner key info or to mislead and manipulate participants or teams. I think there's a number of contexts across the immersive arts where this could be utilized in either more overt or subtle ways. And I think that would really amplify Marcos's messaging. So I'd love to see this incorporated into experiential arts and other contexts. And yeah, I think actually it does, it probably fits in pretty well with some immersive stuff. Cause I know one of the big things that um, the tension experience and then into the lust experience did with both their show and the ARG was like this point about like data collection and how much data you give up and like, why are you giving it up and what are people doing with it? Um, so it almost like could have been like an interesting wrinkle. It would have fit into to the tension experience ascension pretty well. It, um, mm-hmm. Even some kind of like exhibit like this. That that's interesting. And that was obviously. It's, I think the technology has come a long way in the the five years since that show. Um, but right. Speaking of shows you love, <laughs> I believe it's your turn. What's that? Is that a segue going by? Segue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm 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 uh, I'm here to talk about something something different this week. Something I didn't <laughs> talk about last week. It's uh, it's oh, baseball. Yeah. Uh, it's what? Blaze baseball. It's baseball. Baseball. Baseball again. again. I know. Okay. I'm still <laughs> my bullshit. I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't it end? Isn't it over? I got a survey asking them how can we make your baseball experience better. Yeah. Um, so that's and that's what I wanted to talk about specifically was the the wrap up of season twenty four, which was the most recent season, which also closed out the expansion era, which has spanned since last like October or so, um, with a long break in there. I know I talked about this a bit last week. I didn't, I tried. To, I think I dove in uh, too much. And I'm going to try and keep it a higher level to kind of talk through. I think what worked about this this um, era and how it ties into some of the long form storyteller they're doing and different things like that. So as I mentioned last week, the uh, the expansion era was based around expansion. Um, the kind of antagonist of the era kept adding on rules and different elements to the game uh, basically until it broke. Um, there were too many things. There were these suns going supernova in it. It eventually culminated in what was basically a multiplayer boss fight um, where teams kind of flew around this map that had had come to Blazeball um, and then worked together to defeat the antagonist. And then once that happened, a black hole um, started consuming the map and slowly moving and moving and moving. So teams had to try and then pilot away from the black hole that was consuming all of Blazeball. And it was just this really interesting experience to watch as everyone kind of came together to fuel each other using what were previously coins, which was the kind of money of the era. And then when the antagonist, who was a giant coin, died, um, everybody's money went away. So any snacks people had been using to earn money throughout the era became the fuel to pilot these teams away from the um, growing black hole. And then... It was just this this way that it's it's brought everybody together as even though it's these teams and they play each other every week or every day in baseball and then 
um, how it grew past that into something else. And then eventually what happened is all of the teams were swallowed by the black hole. Um, and it ended in a, in a, in a pun as Blazeball is, is like to do where it went from beta to gamma, which I think is a compression joke about <laughs> black hole um, and what they do. And that's Blazeball is also full of puns. And I know Patrick and Lauren, I have, talked a lot about the Van Gogh puns going around. So maybe you'll enjoy it from uh, that perspective too. Um, Wait, so I'm going to jump in. I, yeah. I, I, so, okay. So, so this particular expansion has ended, mm -hmm. but, and all the teams have been swallowed up by the black hole, but now, so I guess two sort of questions, like, I mean, sort of where do you go from here? And is it like, First, okay, so if I were to jump into this, yes. I mean, can, can someone, is it, is it, it sounds like a, just a tremendous amount of time. Is it worth it to get involved? And, and where do you go from here? I mean, do you know? So, yeah, they've kind of announced what happened is, is somewhere in the last couple of months, the game band who puts on baseball actually received funding to continue the show. So part of that is they're developing an app to make it easier instead of having to kind of rely on a website. Um, which I think will make it more accessible to people. Um, and right now it is on a break as they kind of retool. So part of what they, they explained they were doing in this era too was they were just piling on rules and rules and rules and rules to see what people liked and enjoyed to kind of use that to figure out how to kind of move into a wider um, presentation of this to a wider audience and to just see what people generally enjoyed about the game as, as, um, no mention they sent out a survey to kind of pinpoint like who was playing the game, why they were playing the game, kind of what other media they were interested in um, to kind of bring it back to that's where the game is going. I think anybody can jump in. You don't have to spend a ton of time doing it and playing it and being super active. You can follow along. And part of what they did over this this last season is They've introduced new ways to kind of keep up on the, the story, which is um, like a, a book that keeps track of like when the characters show up and, and talk to you. Um, so it's easy to kind of keep track of that. And they've also introduced other ways to interact where you don't have to be like watching the games. It's this um, concept of a library, which reveals the history of baseball, which is a lot of the story that's gone into kind of what happened before and it informed some of what happened during so the kind season. Of, kind of a kind of a built-in lore Bible then? Yeah, that's that's essentially what it is, and it's yeah. so players you can work to redact them uh, or unredact them. Sorry, a lot of the entries are unredacted or redacted. I'm right. confusing words. So they're, they're redacted, they're covered up, and then like the players together can work to reveal the story information, which reminds me of like say the way the tell library was doing, you know, mm -hmm. collaborative, like you know unlocking things which would that get that's where the arg ness of it really kind of comes through yeah and it's because some of it's that's not quite a puzzle some of what was happening with like moving the ships around felt like a puzzle or like some game building aspects but yeah a lot of the lore and kind of the the parts i think that are interesting to probably arg and immersive fans are in that library and and uh, like unredacting them and finding out what happened and how that might inform like what's going to happen in baseball too. Cause there's kind of this thing about history's circular and it plays into some elements like that too. So, um, you, so you think they're going to lean more into this kind of uh, unlockable narrative, 
like collaboratively unlockable narrative structure. I, I would guess so. It seems to be one of the more interesting elements and it's a way to, I think, keep people engaged who are maybe not up on the sports side, but want to follow along kind of the story of the world. And that's always been a strength of, of baseball. And, and really quick in regards to that question of collaboration, something uh, practically, uh, can you go in and, and start a team or are you just randomly grouped with other players to make a team? I've always kind of been a little curious about oh, your that. fans. Yes. Like, that's the way to think about it. Patrick is like, you're, you're fans of a team and you can, you can change your loyalty, I believe at a, yeah. at a penalty. But yeah, so it just costs, it's, it costs it's more like fantasy can, football. Yeah. Think about, yeah. Yeah. So when okay. you sign up at offers, you like, football. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> Let me push my glasses up. Do you guys want to talk about Star Wars some more? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, you know those games uh, on, on the iPhone that you can get where you can like draft a team of like rebels or imperials? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 yeah like oh, that. Oh, no, sorry, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes sense now. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Challenge of Heroes. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, back back to the normal. Yeah, the normal, the normal. Yeah, is <laughs> the uh, baseball game. Um, yeah. So when you sign up, you like can pick a team, and there's like all these like silly named teams you can pick from, and then there's ways to change um, if you want based on kind of whatever that vibes, or if you're if you don't want to hang out on the Discord, you can just kind of pick a name and and try to help them with the votes or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think the, the kind of long-term storytelling of this era was was very interesting, the way they were kind of building on it and figuring out how to tell that story to the point where this this last um, season, the characters had like a lot of character development, felt like a lot of things were happening. It was like, oh, this is this is the true potential of this, I think, in terms mm-hmm. of of what it can do and like to cross these these kind of streams of of baseball and sports and world building and ARGs and immersive. And it kind of felt like that's what it could do. And I think, well, you mentioned, you mentioned that they were adding a lot of rules and trying things out and just kind of pushing a lot in. Were they, were they starting to add more features and put more energy on that end of the spectrum on this like evolving unlockable lore side of things or, or was a lot of the energy around, the rules and the voting it was mostly through the rules and the voting and even the the library was something that that fans voted to unlock it was one of the um things people could pick that season i think everyone knew it was going to get picked because it was like the coolest loriest option there Mm. Um, but all the other ones were like rules to kind of saddle baseball with um which was everything i we talked about like yeah. grind rails and hoops and there was just ways that like the scoring got like insane and it at points it actually became hard to follow and like it was like i understand you're trying to make a point about like if you stack all these systems on top of each other they don't work but it, at some point it's like this is also not very fun to to watch when you piled all of them on together yeah um, because and i think i think we should be clear and maybe i'm wrong because i haven't looked in a while but like it's still the the visual interface the last time I checked for a game when it was happening live was the same visual interface you get if you watch a box score yes. on baseball or football update on Google. Like that's what you're watching. You're yeah, not watching a, pixels. You're watching a box score. Correct. It's very simple. You can see like who's up to bat, who's pitching, and how many runners are on base, and you can see the count. Um, and that's it. Yeah. Yep. And then so at, some, at some point they did add on when someone, because the scoring got very complicated, they added on like a, you could expand what happened. It would be like 
this was one unrun scored, but it was eight runs scored multiplied by all these different things, oh, um, and it got real wacky. Um, yeah, you want you want to talk wacky? Let's let's talk the lore of the early expanded universe. So the mine harp of Sharu. <laughs> no, um, yeah. Uh, well, so with all of these rules and um and, and what sounds sort of like a b testing that they were doing in real time <laughs> uh did you what did you have some like favorite moments to point out or yeah so i think the the last part of of this was the most interesting the kind of like the the characters all like getting much development and learning like who they were and kind of what happened there and then I, I know I'm like I like I like the lore stuff. It's the it's the coolest, it's the most interesting, the storytelling part. But the the other part of Blazeball is the the simulation that actually dictates these games. And sometimes just like bizarre things happen or funny phrases. Um, so one that happened is at some point a character picked up what was an item called like the Super Roman Fifth Base, um, which made that character at the end of every Blazeball week, which is every nine in-game hours, um, Rome from team to team and they could put it down. So the one of the teams is called the Philadelphia Pies and their stadium <laughs> is called the Oven. So yes. all points, <laughs> the this character this like message goes out the it was like um, so and so put the or placed the fifth base in the oven. <laughs> and it was just like this insane like mimetic thing that then kind of captured the like everyone's attention on on the discord people just kept repeating it because it was this insane phrase that the game had just like put out on its own because that's what happened over the course of the simulation um so i think those are kind of like the two ends it's like there's this cool long-term story selling stuff and then there's just like the dumb stuff that happens because it's a baseball simulation with all these insane rules um stacked on top of each other this kind that of this kind of dialogue between you know, almost like a GPT three narrative, you know, functioning narrative, and and pure mimetic culture. You know, nothing nothing more internet than Blazeball. No, it is it is very online, as you would say. Yeah, I'm looking at the Instagram, which is full of like I presume they're like showcasing like fan art and stuff yes. like yes. that of the teams, and mm-hmm. it just it just strikes me as like, are you up for anything? Good have a great time like that's just like the vibe i get from some of this like artwork it's just like this guy has the lightning shooting out of his eyes this one's you know uh this guy's a i got a rabbit a humanoid rabbit you know it's Uh, definitely it's definitely a fascinating piece of like internet culture uh an experiment in fan culture there's you know, I mean, what, what <laughs> the reason why we don't tell Kevin, no, you can't talk about Blazeball again is because it just, it touches on so many of the, the points that I think a lot of creators in immersive and experiential are trying to activate, which is how can you get fans to just wholeheartedly engage with the world you've made? What, what agency do you give them? How do you spotlight them? And also, what level of narrative? How much narrative agency do you need to give someone in order for to have them feel like they have a kind of legitimate ownership over the story, not just that they paid their twenty five hundred dollars and are getting to ride the ride? Well, and even in terms of like free ARGs, I think it it does something where you feel like you're participating and part of something without like the need to kind of 
get that kind of individual attention that I think it, like some of them, like the the kind of modern LA based ones, thrive on. Um, but it, it does this thing where like it it can take a number of these a lot of kind of people playing it at scale. Um, and yeah, I think even though it is technically a game, it's put out by a game studio. I think there are a lot of lessons you can take away from it in terms of designing something like an energy or even some some immersive experiences in terms of kind of how how to bring people in and kind of different ways to engage them without like kind of overwhelming them and offering some of these these ways to hop in and maybe not having to like be paying attention to it all the time. And that's something they're working on, um, I think, so you don't have to be like focused on it 24 hours a day while it's running. All right. Do you have a sense of, is anyone we've been on this for a, a bit of time now? Uh, so we should probably move to the, the end of end of line, but uh, do you have a sense of when blaze ball is due to come back? No. Um, it sounds like it might be sometime this year. Um, it, they said they were supposed to be shorter than their last kind of long break, which was, I think about five months. Um, so we'll see it kind of, I think it depends on, on what they're trying to do and when they're trying to like get the app developed before they come back or, um, yeah, I'm not like, however, they're kind of working that. Um, so hopefully in the next few months, but we'll see. And I think they've been good about trying to take that time to like develop things and make things strong before they they put them out and kind of like having to half asset or kind of put something that people aren't going to enjoy out there all right well kevin i think we've reached uh i think we've reached the the end of the show it is the end of the show unless we want to uh just talk about star wars for a while <laughs> no, no we, I, think we, I think we did that all right oh, wow. all right all right so um <laughs> Okay, so uh, everyone knows the next thing we do is uh, the team sticks together and we'll do some uh, deliberations, uh, but uh, we will no longer be broadcasting in the Discord. So, uh, Kevin, I hand, it, I hand the reins back to you. Yeah, so um, does anyone want to make a particular argument for their show for Pick of the Week, or shall we all sign off? No, it was another great show, as always. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you guys. It is. Talking about star wars or other things i mean we can do the other things but whatever all right we're gonna call that the end uh we're gonna, gonna i'm gonna, say, I'm gonna so you I'm took gonna, like an inhale i thought you were gonna say something no 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 we, well, now we got a weird thing because like you know we get, we we're gonna leave the stage but we're not gonna we're not gonna leave the the zencaster yet so we got to figure out what the proper dismount is and i kind of walked over kevin's dismount but like, whatever we're just we're, we're rolling through here this, this is the dismount now thanks everybody bye everyone <laughs> professionalism always always